Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 9 and kind of hold your hand there. In January of 1996, Pastor Joe Wright opened a new session of the Kansas Senate, and he opened that in prayer. And this is what he prayed. He said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe on those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium. We have inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We've worshiped other gods and we called it multiculturalism. We've endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We've exploited the poor and we've called it the lottery. We've neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We've rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We've killed our unborn and we called it a choice. We've shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We've neglected to discipline our children and we've called it building self-esteem. We've abused power and called it political savvy. We've coveted our neighbor's possessions and we called it ambition. We've polluted the air with profanity and pornography and we call it freedom of expression. We've ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and we've called it enlightenment. And here's what he went on to say. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them your wisdom to rule and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. I ask it in the name of your son, the living savior, Jesus Christ, amen. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, I don't think that's what they thought they were getting when they opened that session that day. What do you think? (laughs) Pastor showed up and shucked some corn is what happened. As we get into Daniel chapter nine, Daniel is going to offer one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the Bible. But it gets down to the seriousness of the situation that he was dealing with. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of different facets to my personal prayer life. On the one hand, I'll spend some time in confession. On the other hand, and this is just the way that I end my day, you know, after Wendy, I'm the last one to sleep. That's the bottom line. So I'm the last one that goes to sleep. But after the girls are down, after Wendy's asleep, I usually spend some time just laying in the bed and I just, I spend time in gratitude. I just kind of look back on the day and I see all the things and even, in, even when things are particularly difficult or things aren't going well, it could be health or those kinds of things with, with my family, I still can see more of what's going on and I want God to know I can see more. I can see it. I can see the evidences of your grace. And in this, and in this prayer that you're gonna see in Daniel chapter nine, in spite of the fact that they've been pulled from their homeland, in spite of the fact that they've been in exile for a long time at this point, Daniel can see evidences of God's grace but there are other things that he feels like he needs to talk about. 
And that's what we're gonna look into today. So let's look at chapter nine. We're gonna jump in right at verse one. I provided it for you, for those of you that wanna look at the screens. Here's what he says. In the first year of Darius, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord, to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. Okay, so stop for just a second, because you have this guy, Darius, who obviously is in a position of authority, because he says in the first year of Darius. So he's obviously got some position of leadership. But the other thing that you see in verse one is something kind of interesting, is that Daniel reads his Bible. <laughs> so we can learn from his example, but he's reading his Bible. And he's reading Jeremiah chapter 25, that the number of years that God had said that he would send Israel into captivity for their idolatry and for their sin would be 70 years. And so if you think about it, if his friends were taken into captivity around 605 BC-ish, like it's give or take, but around 605, the first year of Darius refers, that he refers to here is gonna be somewhere around 538 BC, like give or take, but right around then. So here's kind of the idea. You got Daniel having this moment as he reads Jeremiah and he goes, wait a second. Like, hold on a second. Time's about up. Like we've, we've almost done it. It's almost like if you're a prisoner and you've been given a 30 year sentence and you're in your 29th year, you go, wait a second. It's 29 years in. And this is exactly what chapter nine, verse one is trying to say. Daniel's having this moment. It's like, it's almost over. It's almost over. And that would probably be good news, right? And so what he says is, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm here to ask you to take us home like you promised that you would. So look at verse three. He says, so I turned my attention to the Lord God and to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. Notice what this means is that the kind of prayer that he's getting into is deep confession. And I prayed to the Lord, my God, and I confessed, Lord, the, the great and inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We've sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and ordinances. We haven't listened to your prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our leaders and ancestors and all the people of the land. In other words, you were talking to us before all of this went down and you were saying, guys, turn around. Literally this message of repent from the prophet. It's like, if you're going this way, repent means you pivot and you literally go the opposite direction that you're going in. You're going that far in the wrong direction. He's like, you sent a word to us and said, stop it. So what Daniel's trying to get at in this, this first part of this prayer is there's this tension that we feel when we talk about God. Here's what this means. On the one hand, we believe that God is gracious and he's kind and he's merciful and he is, he is. Simultaneously, we believe that God is just. You see what I'm saying? We believe all of these things but there's more to it in here because think about these words, we've sinned, we've done wrong, we've acted wickedly. Do those words describe Daniel to you? I mean, think about wicked, rebel, hater of all of God's commands. Does that sound like Daniel? Because it doesn't to me. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, it describes him as one of the most three righteous people to ever live. Daniel's like one of the good guys, but Daniel is now lumping himself in with everybody else that is around him. Have you ever wondered about that? Because I have, especially as I was thinking about this week for you. And in spite of the fact that he's one of the holiest and righteous guys to ever live, or at least mentioned in scripture, notice what he doesn't do when he's pulled out of his land. 
He doesn't accuse everybody around him. He doesn't sit there and say, you know what? You all screwed my life up. I actually had a great thing going. But you knuckleheads out there, you don't see that. He doesn't do it. He doesn't accuse them. Furthermore, in verse six, if you look at it again, we, have, we haven't listened to your prophets who spoke. We, we didn't do that. He's confessing the sin of his ancestors. Have you thought about that? He's confessing the sins of his ancestors, which clearly he didn't commit. Yeah, like he wasn't there, which means he's not guilty of it because he's not born yet to do it. So why in the world would he confess something like that? Like actually consider himself a part of the group before him that did it. That's a good question. And I'm glad that you asked it today. There's, there's something that I wanna keep up front on this right off the bat. If you were to look at Ezekiel 18, 20, here's what it says. It says, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them. The wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So do you notice something that is here? You're responsible for the choices that you make. You're guilty for the choices that you make. That's what Ezekiel 18, 20 is saying. What it's also saying is, he's not saying you're guilty because of the sin of your forefathers. They have their own to own. You've got your own to own. We have to make an important difference here because what Daniel is talking about is not inheriting the guilt of his father or whatever. He's talking about inheriting the consequences of the choices of his forefathers. Do you see the difference between the two? Because I think you do. I want you to think of every kid that is born into a broken home. They didn't ask to be born into that. They didn't ask to be born into abuse. They didn't ask to be born into neglect. They didn't ask to be born into brokenness, but they were. And if you can kind of get that picture in your mind's eye, you can understand something that Daniel is trying to say here. The consequences of this are still here. It's everywhere. And I was born into this. And so was I, by the way. And so were you. All the way back to Genesis chapter three in the fall, we were born into the mess. We inherit the mess. The question then becomes, what are we gonna do with the mess? And that's something that we see from Daniel. By the way, it's something that we see from Jesus as well. Our sin wasn't his fault, but he takes on responsibility. He enters the world to fix it. This is what he's doing. This is what leaders do. So take a look at verse seven. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Daniel goes on to say, he says, Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But this day, public shame belongs to us. Look at verse 11. All of Israel has broken your law and turned away. They refuse to obey you. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. And yet we still haven't sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. Here's what we would like to think. Stop for just a second. Here's what we would like to think. What we would like to think is that if we actually bear out and fully experience the consequences of the choices that we make, we always learn from them. Daniel is here to say, that's not always the case. Sometimes we have the full consequences of the choices that we make and sometimes we don't. 
Sometimes you're waiting for a person to literally hit rock bottom so that when they hit it, they'll go, I, I've got to do life differently. This, this just isn't working. And notice what Daniel was saying in these verses. None of these people did that. And by the way, being in exile, that's pretty close to rock bottom, isn't it? You're literally pulled out of your land. You don't get to worship. I mean, think of all of this. You would think this would be the point where they go, God, we need you. This is a mess. And what did Daniel say? I wasn't where they went. It just wasn't where they went. And these are supposed to be God's own people. He uses an interesting word in verse seven. He says, righteousness belongs to you. This is the Hebrew word tzedek. And what that word actually means is there's a standard of right relationships between people. And that means that there's a standard of a right relationship between me and God, but also me and you, just people. There's a standard for it. So I want you to, I want you to picture this kind of in your mind's eye. I want you to imagine that someone steals your car um, they take it to a chop shop, stop for just a second. In the nine o'clock service, I actually said they took it to a strip shop because <laughs> they stripped the car down in my example. But no, people had to talk to me after church. <laughs> and they're like, you got that wrong, man, because if they're going to a strip shop, that's a whole other kind of sin going on over there. I was like, well, Jesus is there for that too. So they go to a chop shop, <laughs> they steal your car. They take it to a chop shop. Uh, probably mostly for your catalytic converter these days, you know, but think of other things, right? And so they, they tear the car down and they sell it for parts. And let's just throw a number out there. You know, they, they, they're really bad at it. They make $3,000 off of it, right? And they get caught and they go before a judge and the judge says, uh, give $3,000. Now, how many in this room today think, yeah, that seems to me to be just. Can I see your hands? I'm gonna give you a second. Nobody. Well, how about that? Now, maybe you were too shy to raise your hand. But here's what that means. That means that you actually agree with Daniel. You're actually getting what he's saying. I, I, I mean, for the judge to show tzedek or righteousness, it means bringing serious consequences for serious offenses. Serious consequences for serious offenses. And this is what Daniel is trying to say because he's looking at his people and he says, Jerusalem, our home was destroyed because God is righteous. How many of you would agree with me? That is hard to hear. But that's why. It's because he's righteous. Now, don't get me wrong. He, he mentioned before that he had sent prophets to say, stop, like turn walk a different way. But what was the response? They didn't listen. And so there was that period of mercy where God tempers his justice, but then God gets to the point where he says, it's enough. It's enough. And as a result, the people, the people go into exile. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't fit the righteousness of God for him to let his people keep doing what they were doing without any accountability or any justice. It just, it just wouldn't fit. And this is why Daniel doesn't complain about judgment. He understands it. Did you catch that? Even though he is described as one of the three most righteous people ever mentioned in scripture, this is why he does not complain about God's judgment. He gets it. God got fed up. God had had enough. Even if that brought him personally very difficult times, and it did. All right, let's keep going. Look at verse 15. 
He says, so now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt. Notice he's drawing back to a story where God delivers them from captivity. You brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand. You made your name renowned as it is that day. In keeping with all of your righteous acts, he goes on to say in verse 16, may your anger and wrath be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for your sake. Here's what he's doing right here. He's actually praying number six back to God, praying God's promises back to him. I don't know how many of you have done that, but he's doing that. And here's why. Remember before, he's looking at the math and he's saying, hey, the time of captivity might be actually coming to an end. That's amazing. That's amazing. You would feel the same way if you had a prison sentence and you're looking going, it's coming to an end. This is amazing. But here's what he goes on to say in verse 18. He says, so listen closely, my God, and I want you to hear. Open your eyes, see our desolations and the city that bears your name. For we're not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear, Lord, forgive, Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Now, there's something interesting in this because when he says, listen and act for your own sake, what would that mean? I think there's a couple of things here. One is he had made this promise to his people that there'd be a time where he delivers them from the captivity. And so if you're looking and you make a promise to somebody, you wanna see that somebody honors the promise that they've made to the people. And as is in fitting with God's character, he will honor his word. And so Daniel is saying, this is a matter of the testimony to the people around that you are a God of your word. There might be judgment, but there's something on the other side of this. You will honor your word. So his righteousness compels him to bring justice, but his righteousness also compels him to forgive and to restore them. That's both. This is, this is how God works. When he brings consequences, he does so in connection with his promises. He calls his, back to his covenant that he made even here with Abraham. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. You're gonna be my people. Now, there might be times that you get in trouble. <laughs> and this is one of those times but you're my people. And his ultimate purpose is to bring blessing even to those that chose to be his enemies. Even to those that chose to be his enemies. Let, let me give you an illustration if this, this might help. Parents, for those of you that have ever had to correct your children, it's not fun. One of, one of the things that I've had to say to my girls is, you're a part of us, we're not a part of you. Now, you don't sit here alone. You're part of the group. And part of what is difficult about supervising children <laughs> and trying to raise them up is you're trying to help them to become somebody that they're not yet. You're part of the process. And that means that you have to insert yourself at times into their life so that you can put them back on the right path. Parents, do y'all know what I'm talking about here? My parents definitely know what I'm talking about here. I gave them practice, y'all. <laughs> I gave them practice. But it's what you do. And you have this reminder, you are a part of a whole. But the whole group is not a part of you. This, this is a part of what I think might be a little bit wrong with our country. What do you think? We have lost our sense of being a part of a community. 
and it's my rugged individualism. And you just have to find a way to work around me. Life isn't like that because the choices that you make inevitably spill over into the lives of other people. And it's right for them to have a reaction to it. It's right, we should. But beyond the need to correct is showing that there's a way forward. Beyond just the need to correct is showing that there is a way forward. So when my girls were little, one of the things that we would do, because we tried to practice you know, getting them in the habit that when they made a wrong decision, that they would own it. Like they would own it. They didn't sugarcoat it. Well, I see what I did was wrong, but like the second you got there, the apology was lost, right? Whoever you're talking to, they don't think you mean it anymore, right? Owning it. Here's what I would do. Imagine one of my girls did something to one of my other girls. It's hard to believe, but like go with it, right? So they do something to one of my other girls. One of the things we would do is, is, is to get them to say, I'm, I'm sorry for what I did. On the other hand, you have the other girl. We also worked with them so that they could look back at their sister and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. A, a lot of what is in this, refining in Daniel chapter nine, is that kind of moment. We're sorry for what we've done. And God's been standing there the whole time saying, I've been ready to forgive you. I've been ready for this. I've been waiting for you. It didn't have to be like this. And Daniel goes on in verse 20. He goes, and while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, meaning back in chapter eight, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. And as soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I've come to tell you for your highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And at this point, Daniel's probably going, oh no, because he's already had a vision before. And by the time the vision was over with, it says literally the color had left my face because a strong judgment was coming. And Daniel was like, I don't like what I'm seeing. What does it even mean, right? What does it even mean? That's how he felt. And now Gabriel's coming and going, I've got a vision for you. And Daniel's like, oh, okay. So what does it look like? By the way, I love this. It says, you are highly esteemed. And that just caught me because some translations say you are loved by God. Now think about who he's talking to, Daniel. Let's think about his life for just a second. Sound good? He's taken into captivity when he's probably somewhere around 15 years old. 15. More than likely, he is castrated because earlier in the book of Daniel, it, was, it says he was taken by a chief eunuch. So he was probably castrated. And what that means for Daniel is, is he's not gonna have a family. That's over. That was just decided for him at the tender age of 15 years old. So he's pulled out of his home He's pulled away from his people. He knows that he has no family waiting for him in the future. All of this is going down. And right here it says, you are highly esteemed. I've got to be honest with you. When I was reading that this week, this is the snarky part of me that kicked in a little bit. I thought, could you esteem me a little bit less? <laughs> that would be great. 
And how many of you think maybe in some moments, some honest moments with Daniel, maybe he felt the same way? This is a lot. How many of you think, I, I am feeling the weight of what we're going through? How many of you think he felt that? Because I do. And you see it right here in chapter nine in his prayer. This is heavy. This is heavy. But he goes on in verse 24. He says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. And for those of you that like to mark in your Bibles, that might be what you wanna mark to finish it. And to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. This is really interesting because Daniel has just had this prayer of confession. Like he poured it out. Did you catch that? I mean, he's pouring, this is coming from the gut and he pours it out. And what does he hear in the verses that we just read? That's good. That's good. It's just, it's not the end. It's not the end. Now imagine how Daniel felt when that's what he was told. Whoa. Uh, it's supposed to be the end because you said that there was a period of years that we were going to be in exile and at the end of that exile, everything was going to be fine. Well, you know, or better. We're going to get to go back and we're going to inhabit our space. You get to go back to your home and all of that. What is the meaning of this part of the vision? And the answer is basically this. The answer is, well, the 70 years actually hasn't been enough. It's 77s. Some of your translations say weeks. So if you just do some multiplication, that's 490 if you come up with it. But there's this question. Has the exile to Babylon fully dealt with Israel's sin? And in this part of the vision, guess what is being said? No, it hasn't. Is this how an, an eternal righteous relationship is established? And the answer is, no, it isn't. It's not how it works. Because the brokenness goes so deep that this part of the exile is only the first part. It's only the first part. Now with that, that's where Daniel's probably start feeling sinking down a little bit. Because you go, what else? I mean, like, what else can there be? It's already been a lot. What else can there be? But this, I think, is what's being said in Daniel chapter nine because it ties over into what you find in the New Testament. In verse 25, he says, no one understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. There'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Now that second part would be 483 years, but he's talking about something very specific here. There's somebody that's coming. You need to be looking for him. And he's going to do something that hasn't been done before. And it's gonna be complete. It's over, but not until then, not until then. And as he goes on to say, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench. Yeah, his place, his people. It'll be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. This is Christ on the cross, isn't it? 700 years beforehand, but there it is. Daniel say it's happening. And the people of the ruler who will come to destroy the city and the sanctuary, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. And in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. 
And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Is that clear as a bell for everybody? There's a lot that scholars actually bat back and forth. And you have people that, that genuinely are trying to understand what's happening here. And they, they disagree. They disagree on a lot of things here. Like what is even the meaning of the, the 70 times seven? What does it mean? Scholars debate it and they disagree. Can I tell you one thing that everybody agrees on from this? There's something that God is going to do, not just to address sin, but to put an end to it. That's it. Not just to address it, but to end it. It stops. It stops. And that's Christ. You, you see this language. If you go over into Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, there's this moment in the life of Peter, right? Somebody does something wrong to you. Um, how many times should I forgive? Right? And he goes, seven times, which makes him sound great, by the way, because all that was required for Jewish law was three times. And then after that, it's like, well, you're on your own, right? So Peter thinks like he's really up in the bar. He's a seven times. And the answer is, no, it's 70 times seven. You kind of see this language cropping up again, don't you? And what was the point of using that figure of speech? And it isn't so that as an accountant, you can count how many times somebody has offended you. And once they hit 490, well, sorry, you're done. The whole point of it is that forgiveness is complete. That's the point. Jesus is going to do something that is complete. It's done. It's done. I love the example, Pastor Max Licato. This beautiful prayer of confession in Daniel chapter nine. It's a great prayer, isn't it? How many of you have prayed like that lately? Max Licato has a wonderful picture of what confession does for your soul when you go before Jesus Here's what, he, here's what he said. He said, confession does for the soul what preparing the land does for the field. Okay, stop for a second. Are there any farmers out there? Maybe not right now. Let's, let's go back to when you were growing up, right? How many of you actually had to farm a little bit? Can I see your hands for a sec? Am I the only one? Good grief. All right, people, y'all got to farm sometime. <laughs> so I, I worked in a number of, I worked with my grandpa in his garden uh, worked in sweet potato fields, watermelon fields. I don't like watermelon fields. I'm just saying it. I hardly even eat a watermelon anymore. You know, when you're having to walk 150 acres and roll the vines and then you can't stand up, you know, after a while you're like, watermelons aren't worth it. <laughs> Preparing the field. There's a lot that you do as a farmer to prepare the field. Before the farmer sows the seed, Max Licato said, he works the acreage. He removes the rocks. He pulls the stumps and he knows that seed grows better if the land is prepared for it. That's what confession does. It prepares the land. It prepares the soul. You gotta clean some stuff out of there first. And then like his word can take a deeper root in you. Even as you get in his word, what is it that is in the way from you having that kind of experience of God? So here's what he goes on to say. Confession is the act of inviting God to walk the acreage of your heart. There's a rock of greed over here, Father, I can't budge it. And that tree of guilt near the fence, its roots are long and deep. 
And may I show you some dry soil, too crusty for a seed. God's seed grows better if the soil of the heart is clear. And so this morning, I want us to take just from Daniel's prayer here, I want us to, to take it and I want us to do something with it. I want us to spend some time clearing the soil, clearing our heart. So we're gonna spend some time in prayer. That's what we're gonna do. I don't know, sometimes my week is so busy, uh, I, I have to look and be like, when is some time I'm gonna spend some time in prayer? And that just tells me I need to reorient my week. What do you think? <laughs> Y'all agree with me? But you know what, right now, you're here. This is where you're at. And you can have some time where you talk with the Lord. You can be honest with him. That's the good thing. This is what he wants. This is, this is your Daniel 9 moment. All he's been wanting from you is to pray like Daniel did about your reality, your life, what's true about you. The dark part that you never want to talk about. So as Daniel says, so a light can shine on it but also so that darkness doesn't have a hold on you anymore. That's what this is for. You know where Jesus has been in all of this? Right behind you, <laughs> right behind you. And this morning, I think we have a couple of possibilities. One is we can follow the example of Daniel's ancestors. You had your prophets, you sent them, they spoke to us. We should listen. I mean, you can do that. I highly recommend against it today. Maybe follow the other example. Lay your heart before him. Call things that are in you what it is. Because His grace is enough. It's enough. That's it. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.